Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the 317th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Chris Spisak, author of the novel editing workbook, 105 Tricks and Tips for Revising Your Fiction Manuscript. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Chris Spizak, author of the new book, The Novel Editing Workbook, 105 Tricks and Tips for Revising Your Fiction Manuscript. She's also the author of Get a Grip on Your Grammar, 250 Writing and Editing Reminders for the Curious or Confused. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Sure. If someone listening hasn't heard about your new book, The Novel Editing Workbook, the title was pretty self-explanatory, but can you talk about what an aspiring novelist can gain from your book? Absolutely. So often when someone gets to the end of that first finished draft, first things first, you need to throw some confetti in the air. You need to do some sort of celebration because really finishing that first draft is huge. But then people want to go into the editing but people don't necessarily know what that editing actually means. It doesn't necessarily mean going back to page one of chapter one and starting to look at your grammar and sentence structure. Editing is so much more complex than that. And in especially this really competitive publishing landscape, we all need to make sure that we're doing the work, doing all the proper phases of editing. From that macro edit, looking at big picture pieces, looking at your story structure, your character depth, all of that going into your micro editing where you're really looking at every single word you choose and why. And then, of course, finally to that proofreading when you think of editing. So people, so many people jump to that final step, but there's so many pieces to do to really bring your manuscript to the next level before grammar and punctuation. So that's where that came from. I have been editing over 10 years especially focusing on fiction projects. And I see the same mistakes again and again and again. And I teach so many workshops at writing conferences and I'm just watching people's eyes open on, wait a second, there are actually instructions and procedures you can go through to do a powerful edit of your own work. So I knew it was time to get that out into the world. And so what led you to write the novel editing workbook? Well, after working with my clients for so many years, again, it was one of those moments of realizing people were making similar mistakes. People were jumping ahead, being so excited to have that finished book, whether your people were starting to get ready to start composing their queries to literary agents, whether they're planning on pitching publishers, whether they're planning on self-publishing it themselves, people want to jump ahead. But to do your work justice, to do yourself justice as an author, you need to finish the process. It doesn't mean getting to that final page, putting that final period, and then diving into quick rush to finish the thing. It means taking your time to really make that vision that you had in your head when you started this project come to life. So I wrote this book really to help people get that vision they started with to really end up on the page, not to rush those final pieces. So in addition to writing the novel editing workbook, as you've described, you also work as a freelance fiction editor. 
I realize that every writer is different, but are there common errors or difficulties that you see aspiring novelists struggling with? Absolutely. Sometimes it's as simple as the structure of your book. Just because something ended up being in the first draft of your project, the first scene that you chose, the first way that chapter started, the way that you came to the conclusion of your book, just because it's the way it ended up on the page doesn't necessarily mean that it's what should end up at the page at the end of the page. There's so much time that should be considered with structure on perhaps whether you had so much fun writing that 71-page section about that sniper that showed up and, hey, you're not writing a thriller or suspense, you're writing a romance, but you had a whole lot of fun writing that section. Sometimes we have tangents. Sometimes we don't start in the most powerful place. Sometimes we don't end in the most powerful place. And it's really those big steps looking at, is every character unique? Do they move differently? Do they speak differently? There are so many large level pieces that people skip over because they want to rush to look at their comma placements. So a lot of those big pieces are super important for folks. And so in your own life, what are your earliest memories of books and reading? Oh, I love that question so much. I have been a reader for absolutely ever. I remember as a kid picking up books, like the the joy of the first book that you've ever read, the joy of looking at things. And I remember in fourth grade, I wrote my first chapter book and it was this mystery involving a cat. And I'm, it was absolutely thrilling, I'm sure, in my own head. But this again goes to that moment of what's in your head versus what comes out on the page. I really loved novel writing and storytelling my whole life. But for me, what's interesting is I've also been someone who's always really loved maths and sciences and all of those pieces. And I think the analytical nature of kind of crossing every T and dotting every I has really kind of fallen into my career where that little persnickety piece of editing, of fine tuning, of making sure everything is so very precise empowers story. So that analytical side of you, if you're a creative writer and you love just exploring and imagining, that is so huge, but you also have to find that other side of things. And I think my entire growth as a writer and an editor has been finding where the intersection is between that right brain and the left brain. And so what led you to working with writers? I started out actually teaching. I was teaching college-level writing courses, and I was working, one of my favorite classes that I was teaching was looking at, okay, how is it different to write an academic essay for an academic audience versus writing a poem? versus writing a letter for a cover letter with your resume, versus writing marketing copy, versus writing product description on Amazon, and just looking at the differences in voice, at the difference in audience, and the difference in what you need to do to accomplish a story or a message with your words. And I remember just seeing this eye-opening moment when I was working with college freshmen, thinking about these pieces. Now, I was in the college classroom for about six years, but I kept finding myself on the side, picking up some editing projects, working with my local writing group. I'm blessed to be in Richmond, Virginia, and Richmond, Virginia has this amazing writing group called James River Writers. And 
It's this great writing community where so many people, no matter where they are in their writing career, have come together to elevate each other, both the craft and the business of writing. And so I got very involved with that group and I found myself surrounded by other writers. And so on the side of my teaching, I started doing some editing on the side and some ghost writing on the side. And then I realized about six years into my teaching that I could actually step away from the classroom and have a career as an editor and as someone who's working on my own words and really just pursuing the mastery of storytelling and the helping of other people to really find their voice and find their stories. And it's, I've been blessed with my career. And so tell us about your blog and the hundreds of writing tips that you offer there. (laughs) My blog started out as such I don't know, a personal journey. Um, My blog was never something that I thought of as a marketing tool. It was something where I was goofing off, really, with a bunch of my writing friends here locally in Richmond, Virginia. And I was goofing off because you know what? It's time that we know the difference between further and farther. It's time that we know the difference between someone who is disinterested and someone who is uninterested. These are different words, and words have subtleties that we so often don't pay attention to. But the second we start talking about language, suddenly people are thinking grammar police. Suddenly people are thinking about their grammar school days where they were falling asleep in their classroom. And to talk about language, it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be something we get angry about. It's just something where we're all trying to do better. So I took this blog where every single week, and this started way back in 2012, every single week, I just took a commonly confused word and we just dove into it. And sometimes I'd be talking about, okay, does Gwen Stefani or does Beyonce use this word correctly? Because both of them are using it in their lyrics, but they're making a different choice with that. And one of them is correct. Maybe it's looking at James Brown who's singing, I feel good. Oh my gosh. Should it be, I feel well? And we're just playing with pop culture. We're playing with all sorts of different things. I'm being playful and silly and sometimes snarky. And all of a sudden, this little blog of mine that I was just having fun with with friends, I'm watching Google Analytics because, as I said, that science math side of me and then the creative side of me has always been at odds with each other. I'm watching Google Analytics and my blog is slowly getting really big. And I find out my blog is being used in college classrooms to explain things. And I'm just having fun with this. But about 100 blogs in, my audience, which at that point I had an audience, which I was shocked by, was really encouraging me to indie publish this collection. And so I was convinced I wasn't really thinking much of it. And so I did. I published this collection of my first 100 blogs talking about writing tips. And all of a sudden I get a phone call from one of the major dictionaries online and they want to purchase my ebook and they want to purchase my blog and my brand. And I have this really huge moment of, oh my gosh, what I'm doing here and just really amusing myself, amusing my friends. I have something here. It is something unique. Now, of course, in that moment, I had this strange decision to make where I was being offered money to sell my book, but also to sell my brand and to stop my own blog. And so I had this very hard moment of realizing I had something here. Should I hold on to it or should I let it go? And I decided to say no to the offer that was given to me. I ended up reaching out to a literary agent and really one and a half weeks after I signed with that literary agent, I had a book deal, which was what became Get a Grip on Your Grammar, which came out in 2017. And it's been so much fun to watch the journey of that book. My blog is still going now. I have a podcast um called the Words You Should Know podcast and just exploring all of that. And of course, Get a Grip had a huge victory this year because in 2020, it just came out in hardback. 
Great. Well, when you work with an author, what's the process like? Can you describe how you work as a freelance editor? Sure. So the first thing I do is always talk to somebody about what their concerns are for their story or what they think their story needs. Because an editor should not come into the process ready to rewrite. An editor should not come in just putting their take on something. It's all about the author because this is the author's book. An editor is not the one whose voice should overpower a manuscript. So first things first, I talk to an author about their process, where they are, where their concerns are. For me, I talk a lot about genre because you know what? I am an expert in some. I read so many genres, but you know what? There are other genres that I don't really spend much time in. If you are a fantasy writer or a sci-fi writer or an erotica writer, I don't spend enough time in those genres to call myself a professional editor of them. I don't want to spend time with it because you need to make sure you're working with an absolute expert in the area you are in. So first we make sure that they, what they need is what I can offer. Also, to find out what they're looking of in terms of editing, as I said, those kind of different levels of edit, you have the kind of macro level, bigger picture. And this is where we're talking about bigger pieces like a manuscript critique or a developmental edit. Um, Maybe someone's looking for that. Maybe someone thinks that they're past that stage and they want to think about a copy edit or a substantive edit. These are kind of the pieces of the micro edit. Um, And then we can analyze where they are in their process, how many readers they have had, if it's only been themselves, if it's only been their mom. We can talk about where they are and where they think they need something. And of course, if someone is saying, you know what, I have already edited this to death, I think it's ready for that final proof, we talk about, well, actually, let's think. Are you ready for that final proof? Are you emotionally ready for it? Or is your manuscript actually ready for that final proofing? As for myself, I don't actually handle final proofing or line edits. There are, as I said, multiple types of edits and there are multiple types Mm -hmm. of editors. I only handle certain genres and I also only handle certain levels of edit and proofreading and line editing isn't something that I actually offer anymore. Great. Well, um, what is the breakdown if you don't You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Mind, um... Uh, talking about it between 
your authors who are self-publishing via Kindle or some other electronic um, publishing versus uh, authors who are pursuing traditional publishing? It's a fascinating question because really in the past 10 years, I have had different answers to that question. And I've been watching this flow happen where 10 years ago, 90% of my clients were really pursuing that literary agent, looking for that top New York publisher. And I had the occasional people who were self-publishing, but people were really experimenting in that space. Now, I'd say almost about 50-50, because people in the indie publishing world, the self-publishing world, are realizing they really need to do this right, to be a professional, to take all of the pieces of building your creative writing team, if you will, of getting your book designer, of getting your editor, of getting your formatter. You need to have that creative team together to do indie publishing well. So people are starting to take that seriously. And on the other side of things, I have a lot of people who are still pursuing those literary agents and still pursuing those top publishers. And of course, in the middle, I do have that chunk who's saying, you know what, I don't think I want to go the literary agent route, but I would like to find that medium-sized press or that small press who accepts an agent submission. So right now, it's amazing to see the split because people are going in every direction. And what's even more amazing they're finding success. I mean, in the past six months, I've had some clients who have had some huge indie publishing awards um, that they've earned. On the other side of things, I've seen people get top five New York publishing deals. There's been so many celebrations lately, both directions, or I guess I could say all three directions, if you're thinking about the small presses and medium-sized presses as kind of a third route. All directions are full steam ahead, and they all have their different pros and cons to them. But if a writer is smart and finds the right strategy for them, they can find that success if they put in the work. And that's where I always come back to. You can't cheat the editing process. If you cheat the editing process, you're not going to sell that book, whether that sale is to a literary agent or publisher or just to readers in the end. You need to put in the work because the publishing landscape is more competitive than ever. And do you think that good fiction writing can be learned or is it an innate talent that some people have? Oh my goodness. Everyone seems to think there's this idea that there's this born writer. Well, we all pretend to be born writers, right? No one sees all of the toil and years and scribbling and scribbling and bad rough drafts. But you know what? Even the most brilliant writer you can think of, they have had their hideous sentences. They have had their hideous drafts. Everyone learns how to do this. Who is it? Hemingway, who said that we are all apprentices in an art where no one ever becomes a master. Hemingway said that. Hemingway recognizes that we are all apprentices. We are all learning. And then on the other side of things, you have da Vinci, who said that there is no such thing as a finish. Oh, I'm, I'm completely butchering this quote. Excuse me. There's no such thing as finished art. There's only abandoned art because there's that moment where you realize this is as good as it's going to get. But you just have to make sure that you aren't coming to that moment prematurely. And that's where that editing comes in and critique partners and all of those members of your writing world. Are there exercises that you recommend for writers looking to improve their craft? Oh, absolutely. And really, that's why I wrote my latest book. It's a workbook. It is. Um, it says 105 tricks and tips, because really, that's what it is full of. There are a lot of little questions, but there are also a lot of deep dive exercises in there, picking out 10 pages out of the middle of your book to do a deep dive into your sentence structure, to do a deep dive into the lengths of your sentences that you're using. I often recommend doing editing exercises in the absolute middle of your book. 
Because if you start in the beginning, do you know where you spend a whole lot of time editing? Your first five pages, your first 10 pages maybe. Because when you finish your book, that's where you're super excited to do that edit. That's where you're really looking to spit and polish every single sentence, every single word. But sometimes when we edit our own work, especially, we get tired. It's natural. That's why I always tell people when you're editing, give yourself breaks. Maybe you should edit in 10-minute spurts or 20-minute spurts and just stand up, go to your kitchen, pour yourself a glass of water and come back because it's hard to keep that attention span. So when it comes to exercises, my book is absolutely full of them. And we just talk about how can you take um, and a ex close examination of page 147 with how you're using the word it on that page. Are you starting a whole bunch of sentences with it was, which is often a very lazy sentence start? Or perhaps maybe you're starting every sentence with the same word and you're not even realizing it because your edit caught that in your first chapter, but maybe later in your book, you're getting a little bit lazy with the same length of sentence over and over, the same start of your sentence. There are so many different ways that you can look at things. My favorite editing exercise to tell everybody involves using the find function, which is, of course, using control F in um on Microsoft Word or Scrivener or whatever you happen to be using, or for the internet, if you're working in Google Docs, using Control F to look for their lazy moments. Look for perhaps where you might be overusing the word smile. Smile is a fabulous word, but is often overused in first drafts of manuscripts. Smiling can sh show so much. It can show shyness. It can show happiness. It can show eagerness. It can show love. It can show nervousness, but people love the word smile and smile is sprinkled over manuscripts so much more than it should be. It's a fine first draft word. Use it in a first draft, but just make sure that you're not cheating yourself by getting repetitive and making sure every character has different body language, different reactions, and not just he smiled, she smiled, smiling sometimes and I say this not to tease anybody, but it's part of the editing process. Sometimes people are smiling almost maniacally in manuscripts just because the writer doesn't realize they're being a little bit repetitive with a certain word. There's so many words like that to just seek out in your manuscript and just find and replace with something better. Because you know what? Writers are amazing and they just have to put in a little bit of work to do the best that they can. What books about writing and editing have you enjoyed over the years? Oh, there's so many. Um, goodness. So I love Stephen King's on writing. I love the elements of style uh, and oldie but goodie. Um, I love, oh my goodness, Eat Shoots and Leaves is a favorite. But really, my favorite editing books, I mean, besides my own, of course, mm -hmm, of um, course, of course um, my favorite recommendation in terms of books to read when you're editing are books in your genre especially when you're done with the writing process and you're really deep into the editing, watch the masters do it well. Watch how people are using their sentence structure, how people are using, um, developing their characters and describing their characters and pacing things. Look at how um, chapters perhaps are ended. Look at where they're beginning, making sure they're really finding payoffs in every way. If you're reading heavily in your genre, and when I say reading, I mean with ebooks, I mean paper books, I mean audiobooks. It all counts. The more you are surrounding yourself with stories, the better you will become. So really, to be it's an old phrase but so true. To be a great writer, you must be a voracious reader. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? 
Oops, sorry. Um, let's see. What have I read lately? I am a huge fan of Anne Patchett. I am a huge fan of Celeste Ng. I am a huge fan of, let me see, who have I been reading lately? Um, I think I read across every genre that I can think of. And I also try to read kind of as broadly as I can, exposing myself to worlds that are completely new to me. I recently read The Girl Who Smiles Beads, and I don't remember the author's name, goodness, um, all about um, genocide in Africa. And it was eye-opening. I recently read a book, um, oh my goodness, called the newlyweds about a girl from Bangladesh that was fascinating and just opening my eyes culturally to so many things. Again, to be a powerful writer, you need to read broadly, open up your eyes to as much as possible. Um, I think I probably read 70 books a year and I'm finding it funny that I'm coming up short on titles, although I've already tossed a bunch at you. (laughs) So are there clients books that you'd like to mention or recommend? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. A recent client of mine is Julie Valerie, who had her debut come out last year. It was Holly Banks, Full of Angst. It is women's fiction, comedy, absolutely brilliant writer. Her second book in that series, and the series is called, I believe, The Village of Prim series. Second book in that series is coming out this fall. And I worked with Julie deep um, in the phase of turning her story from first person to third person. We worked really hard deep into the early stages of her story. Another big client success last year was, let me see, Terry Vandelay, whose book Theme Music sold to, I want to say it was Random House. And that just came out a couple months ago too. And that's horror, Southern Gothic horror. And it is the most disturbing, brilliantly written book. I was so proud to work with her. Um, Other things on the indie publishing side, Karen Chase, Karen A. Chase, I should say, just published, um, what's the name of the book? Carrying Independence. And Carrying Independence was historical fiction all about how did every single single signature appear on the Declaration of Independence? Because not all people who signed it were in that room in Philadelphia. How did that happen? So it's fascinating historical fiction. And that one has been just racking up the awards lately in the indie publishing world. So congratulations to Karen. I mean, I could gush about clients all day. I'm so proud of them. But again, it's where you know that you have something and you just need to keep pushing it further. And it's it's been an honor, really, to work with so many writers to take them from a place where they have a solid manuscript. And I can't take credit for all of the brilliance that these people have been coming up with, but it's all about pushing themselves and pushing themselves and putting in the work to bring it across the line to where it needs to be. Great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your books? Absolutely. You can find it all at chrisspizak.com. But of course, I realize no one has any idea how to spell Chris, how to spell Spizak. So I always recommend go to getagripponyourgrammar.com and you'll find everything about me, my work, my blog, my podcasts, my video series, all that is all wrapped up in there. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Chris Spizak, 
author of the new book, The Novel Editing Workbook, 105 Tricks and Tips for Revising Your Fiction Manuscript. And that book is available now. So go buy a copy. And Chris, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.